Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seiben and it's time once again for your weekly wrap up and today we're going to be discussing my upcoming New York City gadget expedition. I got a couple of shows to go to which I will be taking you all with me on. Atari getting defensive with a fellow YouTube creator. We'll explore that topic a little bit. We're going to look at whether or not YouTube, the platform, is profitable and sustainable over the long term. We talk a lot about the creators and how we can make money on the platform, but what about the platform itself? We'll explore that a bit in a few minutes here on the wrap-up. We'll answer some viewer questions about the quality difference between Laserdisc and VHS back in the day. doesn't matter so much now, but it's a good uh, little talking point to have. And we're going to talk about our appreciation for modern technology. And although it's never quite perfect, it is a lot better than it used to be. So let's get to it. But I want to begin first by thanking our newest members on the channel, including Brandon Frazier, who gave via the tip jar... Justin Miller and Batata, please. Both of those guys gave via the Patreon page. You can find more information about helping the channel at the link down below. I want to thank everyone who contributed this week, as well as all of you who contribute on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but we do have a non-ad, an affiliate link for Blue Apron, which is a meal service that I've been subscribed to now for the last year and a half or so. And what they do is mail you all the fresh ingredients you need to cook yourself a delicious, nutritious dinner, including the vegetables that you got to chop up. You do have to give yourself some time, about an hour or so, to make each meal, but the meals are really good, and you never get the same thing each week, and all the ingredients come in the box, so you don't have to go out shopping. It's been really great for my family here, and uh, my wife and kids were gone last week, so I was able to cook everything and then have... Uh, dinner that night and lunch or dinner the next day without having to cook again because the serving size for two uh, obviously can work for two meals if you're by yourself. Now, what they have done over the last two weeks is added the ability to go to a four-serving menu if you need to. So before you had to choose the two or the four for your subscription, uh, now you can kind of mix and match. So if you have guests coming, you can uh, buy a meal off the four-serving menu when you need to. So that's a nice add-on there. Uh, Next week, I'm getting Chrissy Teigen's sweet and spicy chicken lettuce cups, some seared steaks and miso butter, and honey ginger pork chops. And again, everything is in the box, and you can start cooking right away without having to get much else. And if you sign up at the link you see on screen, you'll get a couple of free meals, and we'll get a little commission from Blue Apron. So let's take a look at the week in review. We unboxed two laptops. One is a Chromebook that's Uh, relatively inexpensive at 129 bucks at Walmart that you'll be seeing in the next day or two. We unboxed the Jumper Easy book that I just reviewed on the main channel, and I also unboxed a Netgear smart switch that has an app to configure it that I will be getting to shortly. It wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be, but I do think there is some value to showing how a uh, VLAN works. So we'll do a little network explainer instead of a full review of this one because, quite honestly, the router or the switch here just didn't make the cut, and I'll explain why when we do that video. On the main channel, we did the full review of that Jumper Easy book, Uh, Last night, we got the review up of the Nokia, now with things again, 
uh, sleep device, which is a sleep tracker that you stick under your mattress. I've been using it now for the last two weeks or so. I'm going to begin a, uh, an unofficial sleep study when I get my new mattress to see if I sleep better with the new mattress during my evaluation period. So that's going to be a fun thing to explore as we move forward. And then I also found this uh, cheap mini wireless keyboard for about $20 that I thought was pretty good. So you can check out uh, that review and see if it might work well in your particular home theater environment. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 67 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And this week, I'm going to be heading out to New York City on Thursday for two events. Uh, they're both uh, consumer electronics trade shows. Uh, CE Week, which is happening at the Jacob Javits Center, and the digital experience from Pepcom. And these are great opportunities to meet up with a bunch of major consumer electronics brands and see what kinds of products they are bringing to us. And I'll probably do a few dispatch videos uh, while I am out there. We'll see how much stuff I find. If I have enough for two videos, I'll do one from each event. Uh, if not, I'll do a single consolidated one. And I'll add that also in addition to being here on YouTube to my dispatch series that's now also on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, these are the exact same things that I put on YouTube. I'm not uh, windowing it. In other words, not putting it up on Prime first before it gets to YouTube, but the uh, dispatches for season two, which is all the stuff that I shot on the road this year so far, uh, is now up on Amazon Prime. So if you like to watch stuff on your TV with your Amazon Prime video, you can find me there now. I've been doing this as an experiment just to see if we can get a little more life out of these dispatch videos. They don't tend to get a ton of viewership and they drop off very quickly because they're not very search friendly. So I'm eager to see if maybe uh, Amazon's video system as it matures might direct viewers to this as part of whatever discovery algorithms they have. I've been keeping an eye on the uh, series, uh, the season one dispatches from last year, which are already up on there. So we'll see uh, if this Amazon Prime video has any legs to it, and hopefully they add uh, more regions to it soon. But don't worry, all this stuff that I'm doing is also going to be up on YouTube first. So this is more of an experiment just to get myself onto more platforms. So let's move on now to Atari or whatever company owns them now. And you probably heard about this console called the Atari VCS that they are currently crowdfunding for. It looks really cool, actually, but inside it's not so great for the price. It's got a uh, AMD system on a chip, which I uh, am actually a bit excited about because I think it's a good alternative, perhaps, to some of those Intel uh, Gemini Lake PCs we've looked at recently, the AMD processor in this device, and I think many other mini PCs with the same chipset we'll be seeing very shortly uh, should deliver better graphics performance, probably on par with an NVIDIA Shield or a Nintendo Switch for a pretty low price. We've been waiting for something like that uh, to arrive, and I think it's going to get here in the next year. Uh, this device, which is going through an Indiegogo campaign, you can uh, pay for now, but you won't get it for a while. And I think you might actually see the, the guts of this thing in a bunch of other mini PCs for less money long before that. So they do have the industrial design going for them, though. They've got the cool-looking console and the controller here I'm really uh, quite intrigued with. This is, a, of course, a replica of the original Atari controller, but adds some of this rotational functionality, kind of like the paddle controls they used to have on the 2600. So that's cool. I pay for that. Maybe I'll pre-order that one instead of the console. Uh, and they are raising some good money on their crowdfunding effort here, almost $3 million at the time that I'm recording this. Uh, but it's on Indiegogo, which means that you don't need to have a prototype. They haven't really shown the guts of this thing working inside the case yet. There has, there's just a lot to it that 
I'm a little concerned about, not the least of which the price on this. I think the, the base level console is like $229, which is basically Xbox One territory with you know, a brand new platform from Atari. They've got to attract developers. They've got to get people willing to develop for this console and develop exclusives for it. And I think it's a really hard sell. And some of the some of the comments the developers of this have been making is that they're going to have it be open and you're going to be able to write your own games for it. Basically, everything the folks that were developing the Ouya said a number of years ago, which was a very popular crowdfunded console that just could not compete with the massive scale that... Uh, Sony and uh, Microsoft and Nintendo are at, and I just don't think they are ever going to be able to deliver the units that could really make this happen. I was attracted to the Ouya because it could run emulators, and that's what I primarily used it for before the NVIDIA Shield came out. Uh, so this one, I just don't know where it's going to fall because I think people that are, you know, after playing retro games in emulation will find ways to do it or, you know, buy some of those combo packs you can get for the existing consoles. And I just don't see people spending this much money on this device. And I asked all of you on a poll with my community tab what you thought of it, and most of you didn't seem all that excited about it either. Uh, so that's the console. I wish them luck. I do like the controller and the overall industrial design. And if you want to pay for it, go ahead. Let me know how it is when it uh, finally comes out. I decided not to pre-order one. Now, the retro gaming community is skeptical about this device. And uh, this is a thumbnail from a video that RGT85 did the other day, calling it a fake. Uh, my pal Rerez did a similar video around the time that this one came out, and I'll explain uh, why they did these in a second. And uh, the community, you have to know, is very tight-knit. This is a group that uh, kind of grew up playing these games. They were very passionate about them back when they came out in the 70s and 80s, and they're still passionate about it now. But this market for this device and this market of retro gaming enthusiasts is not enormous. It's big. It's certainly enough to sustain a number of full-time YouTube creators, for example, but this is not as big as the market might be for a Microsoft Xbox One or a Sony PlayStation. It's a, a niche of a market that uh, has people that are willing to spend money and sometimes a lot of money on some of these things, but they don't like getting burned. And uh, there was an incident about two years ago <laughs> with the Coleco Chameleon, and I'll put a full link to this uh, down below in the video description. But uh, in a nutshell here, this was a crowdfunded console. It showed up on Indiegogo initially, and it never actually existed. It was a dream. Uh, it was a wish. But uh, in reality, it just wasn't ever going to happen. And the backers of it uh, went a little too far in that they pretty much perpetrated fraud in trying to get uh, money put together to push this console out. They had taken the uh, Atari Jaguar plastic molds that they legitimately acquired and were going to build a console around those molds. And they uh, showed it off at Toy Fair in New York City a couple of years ago. And people thought, hey, this is a working console. Let's take a look. Maybe we'll consider investing. But the reality was the uh, console was a uh, Super Nintendo stuffed inside of the Jaguar case. And the folks on Atari Age uh, one of the community forums that uh, centers around the retro gaming community, discovered this and blew the whole thing wide open. And uh, there's a lot of skepticism about this as a result. So relationships with the community are very important, which led to uh, some of the videos that popped up calling this console a potential fake. And here is what they were talking about. So on the Indiegogo page, there was a video of a game called Tempest 4000, 
running what, in what looked like the uh, game console's uh, operating system. But the reality is, is that it wasn't actually running on the game console. They called it a test bed or something. And it was later learned that the game wasn't running on uh, the console's own operating system that they're developing, which will be running Linux. It was running on Windows because this game is also available on Windows or will be at some point. And then the developer of the game said, hey, wait a minute, I never authorized them to release this on their console. What's going on here? Uh, which was when Atari finally admitted that, yes, it was actually running on Windows and not on their own operating system. So it's no surprise that uh, YouTubers would start drawing attention to this because they wanted to alert the community that this was potentially something to be concerned about. We've seen this happen before uh, with the Coleco Chameleon, so let's be on guard with this. And uh, when somebody brought this to the attention of Atari, uh, this was their response on their Facebook page. Eric, YouTubers like this guy love to rant up a good entertaining conspiracy. That's how they get their views and make money. Atari shared footage of the actual existing PC version of Tempest 4K and fully expects to have it and games like it available for the VCS launch next year. So they said that here in the post, but this was not what was said to customers when the video first appeared. Now they do say here that they uh, did put a disclaimer on the Indiegogo page that said IP shown is depicted for illustration purposes only, but it looks like the guy is playing it on the console when he isn't. And I think that is what a lot of these YouTubers are concerned about. We've seen this play out before. Um, now, I did go back in the Internet Archive to see if anything was added or taken away from the page, and uh, this disclaimer was on here from the get-go. So I, I think in their minds they are properly disclaiming things, but it, it really gives the impression, uh, in my opinion, that this is a uh, product that is more completed than it actually is. This game is not running on their operating system, and the game's not even running on the hardware that... Uh, you're going to be buying with it, yet they're asking you to give them money now for it. And that uh, this makes me concerned, and I think a lot of these other YouTubers concerned as well. So the other issue, though, and I think this is what got people all riled up, is that they did change the description on the YouTube video for this. So this video was embedded on the Indiegogo page, but it lived on YouTube. So if somebody's searching on YouTube for this console, this might be one of the videos that comes up. Now, right now, if you go to the video, it'll tell you here at the bottom here that we've snagged some behind-the-scenes test video. It's the PC version of Tempest 4000 played with a modern controller on an Atari VCS test platform, whatever that means. So we're not really seeing what that test platform is or whether or not it fits in the case, but um, this was their added language. And my concern, though, is that when somebody stumbles across this video on YouTube, they're not going to see that language. All they're going to see is, hey, how about some gameplay on the Atari VCS? And if you click on Show More, then you'll learn that it was on a test platform, which is not the actual hardware, and it's running in Windows and not on their operating system. And uh, they certainly you know, created that reaction to uh, RGT85, but in fairness to him, uh, when Atari first uploaded that video, they did not indicate that it was running on Windows either. And I think this is kind of an issue for me here, that if you are trying to get this community to get behind your product, you need to be transparent with them, and you need to be transparent with the people who are delivering news to this community. There are a lot of YouTubers who 
sometimes aren't always agreed with within the retro gaming community, but they're a, they're a part of it. And when you start pissing off the community, you start to lose support for your product. And uh, Coleco certainly went through that when they started going after content creators who were posting videos of Coleco games. And uh, it did not sit well with the community, and they're suffering as a result of that. So I think we, the effort here is not to you know, try to take down Atari here. It's to just let them know that they need to be upfront and clear. They should show what their progress is with the hardware. Does it fit in that plastic case? Or is all they have right now a plastic case? We don't know this, yet they are asking for money from people. And I think they would do well by uh, actually communicating with people and uh, being very transparent about where they are at. Now, I listened to an interview, which I'll put in the master playlist down below with one of the Atari executives, and he was saying, hey, Microsoft and, and Sony are never held to this standard. They've announced things months or sometimes a year or two before a product is released. But the difference is they're Microsoft and Sony. They have the resources, they have the experience, and they have the track record of releasing things that people have a lot of confidence in when this is the first real hardware foray that this current iteration of, of Atari has gotten into, uh, there's not yet the confidence to know that this thing is actually going to be what people hope it will be. I think it probably will get released. It will work to some degree or another because it's a pretty, you know, by computer standards, a pretty simple device to get manufactured. But nonetheless, they would do well by being more open and transparent and letting people know exactly where the project is at right now uh, so that people can make a proper decision before they hand over their money. They've collected $3 million already, and there's no reason to be cagey about it like they are, putting things below the fold and just and going after members of the community. It's not a good start here, and that's what makes me nervous about it, and another reason why I have not put my money down on this just yet. So now it's time for some Q&A from you, the viewers, and we got this question in the other day from Longboy Craig that I thought was worth talking about. Uh, which is the whole YouTube model not being sustainable in the long run. He says it's just built on making advertisers happy. That is not what the average person wants in a video hosting service. Is Google making money on YouTube or not? He read an article about YouTube not making a profit uh, right now. So he doesn't know if it's true or not. And we actually don't know because a lot of the uh, profits that Google reports are often just the overall net of the company, not the business units within it. So I don't think there's been a clear indicator as to whether or not YouTube as a business unit has been profitable or not. And what's interesting is a lot of the advertising dollars that flow into YouTube actually go through the rest of Google's advertising business. So the place where you buy YouTube ads is the same place you buy search ads and banner ads. So I'm sure on the books inside the company, they know where it is, but I think they might be looking at YouTube still as a longer term play and trying to figure out exactly how things work. We are seeing them changing some of the uh, business model as they're moving along here. So YouTube Red looks like it started as an experiment and is now successful enough that they want to create now YouTube Premium, which is the next iteration of the premium service. I actually think that's pretty good for us creators because you don't have the advertiser friendly issue to worry about. Everybody gets monetized if they are a monetizable channel uh, with YouTube Red as opposed to some of your videos getting money versus some not getting money and that kind of thing. But here's the thing about YouTube is that it is the number two website in the world behind the number one site of Google, which means that YouTube actually has more eyeballs on it during the course of any given day than Facebook does, which I think is pretty significant. 
uh, in the grand scheme of things. Maybe if you looked at Facebook and Instagram together, it might be slightly different. But nonetheless, uh, here is what you got. Uh, currently, according to Alexa, which is an Amazon company, they actually uh, use this name first for their web analytics business. And YouTube is number two here. And although people spend a little more time on Facebook, the uh, reality here is that YouTube is pretty much one of the top places on the internet that most of the world tunes into. And as a result of that, uh, it's hard for it not to do well with advertising, even if they are not putting ads on every single video. Uh, the reality is most of the videos that most people are consuming likely are advertiser friendly and advertisers are getting their brands out in front of a lot of people, which makes YouTube just as competitive as Facebook. Uh, in that regard. So I don't think there's any real issue here in the long run with YouTube's profitability, uh, but I can't even imagine what it takes to run this service because the weekly wrap-up video you're watching right now uh, constitutes about, I don't know, two or three gigabytes when we upload it uh, when everything is done. And that's just me doing this. Everybody else on the internet is uploading these huge videos all day long. I forgot what the total number of hours uploaded every minute is, but that requires a tremendous amount of infrastructure, not only just to store these videos, but then to distribute the data out across the entire globe so that when you click on my video in Australia, it pops up as quickly as it does uh, to me here in the United States. It's a tremendous engineering feat to make this work. And the fact that we can put videos on here for free and you can watch them for free, I think is just absolutely remarkable. And it's so exciting to be in a time when you can do something like this. I've talked about this before. It is a very uh, democratizing and very powerful thing for individuals. And uh, clearly there are a lot of individuals tuning into all of us creating content here on the platform. And as a result, I think YouTube will be profitable for a very long period of time. However, us creators will always be going through uh, so much uncertainty as to what our future is on this platform. Now, this next question comes in from Toro Cars because I was talking about LaserDisc last week and how much I loved it uh, back in the days before the DVD players came out. And he was wondering what the quality difference was between VHS and LaserDisc. And it was really... Uh, almost night and day for an enthusiast that really knew what to look for because, first of all, the LaserDiscs were uh, delivering digital audio in the later stages of its lifespan. So immediately you went from just analog audio on tape to digital audio, and shortly thereafter they were able to embed 5.1 channel discrete sound on these LaserDiscs as well. So the audio for me was the big uh, kicker, but there was also a visual advantage as well. So you would get 425 lines of resolution on a laser disc versus only 240 lines on a standard VHS tape. So you would notice the difference even on even a smaller CRT television. The images were much sharper and crisper as a result of switching to this format. Interestingly, though, the video wasn't digital. It was analog video, which is why the disc is so big, basically uncompressed, and it looked uh, really, really good on those CRT televisions. Not so much today when you connect it up to a modern flat-screen TV. It doesn't look so good on those anymore. Uh, there was also chapter markers, so you could jump to your favorite parts of the movie whenever you wanted to. You couldn't do that very easily on VHS. And then some of the laser discs had the ability to make a perfect freeze frame. So if you hit pause, you would get a perfect, almost a photograph on screen of every single frame of the movie. And I had a Star Wars box set, not this one, there was another Star Wars box set where the whole 
uh, you know, trilogy was out there and you could skip frame by frame and get a closer look at uh, some of the special effects and how they were integrated into the movie. It was kind of fun to uh, play around with that. Now, those discs that did the perfect pause were in what was called the CAV format, which means they only held a half an hour per side. So if you had a lower-end player, you had to get up every half hour to flip the disc over. Uh, the last Laserdisc player I owned was a self-flipping disc. You would move the head up to the other side of the disc and keep playing. Now, the discs that I typically bought were in CLV format, which didn't do the perfect pause. They would just go blank when you hit the pause button, but they uh, did have the ability to hold an hour per side. So some movies you might actually be able to fit on a single disc, but getting the DVD format really made things more convenient because you never had to flip anything at all. They had the multiple layers built into the DVD to prevent having disc flips. So that really uh, changed things for me. And the big thing about Laserdisc, though, was not only its technical ability over VHS, it was the fact that the uh, market was for enthusiasts, and as a result, you got better versions of the movies on the Laserdisc. So uh, there was a group called the Criterion Collection that was getting uh, licenses to reproduce some of these very popular films, both modern ones and uh, older ones, in pristine format. They you know, redid all the video, they cleaned up the audio, and produced some really fantastic stuff. And that effort, I think, on Laserdisc led to DVDs being as good as they are, or Blu-rays and 4K Blu-rays uh, being as good as they are now, because it established a market for quality, not just these crappy pan-and-scan, uh, lousy uh, versions of the movies that you would get in the early days. You got some really good stuff on Laserdisc, and when DVD launched, it had that quality level to it, and that eventually became the standard for consumers, and we're still seeing it today with uh, the 4K UHD discs. I was playing my Star Wars movie all this weekend, getting everything tweaked, and those discs just look fantastic, and I think that market came as a result of these big, large laser discs. Now, I did poke around on YouTube a bit to see if there was any really good comparatives between Laserdisc and VHS. There was this one video that I've got linked here that unfortunately doesn't go full screen, but will give you some idea as to what the visual quality differences are. And the big thing with this one, uh, beyond the fact the Laserdisc just looks better, is the fact that you can see what most consumers were getting on VHS with that square pan and scan version, and they were missing parts of the movie that you would see with a full letterbox version, which was just about every single Laserdisc that was released came out in letterbox when the proper aspect ratio versus what uh, we were seeing on VHS at the time. Now, this next question comes in from Commodore, uh, who posted this up on my Facebook group that you can find at lon.tv slash Facebook group. And he makes a very good point here about when you take a step back for a minute and look at how well things work today and compare them to how things worked maybe in the mid-90s or so, things really are working a lot better these days insofar as technology is concerned. We've got you know, really fast computers, beautiful displays. There's far greater integration with stuff. Even the cloud seems to be working better for me lately. And I just wanted to get your opinion as to where you think things are based on where you remember them being. And that could be of any age. I'm just curious about uh, where you think technology is. Do you appreciate what we have or is it all crap? Let me know uh, in the Q&A for you this week. We can discuss here on the YouTube channel and also on my Facebook group. I'm of the opinion that things are great right now because I have stuff that just works and, and really works well despite some very complex things that have to happen to make it all work. And 
I'm very upbeat about the future here, but I'd love to hear what you think. Now, our channel of the week this week is uh, one that I've been following for a while for tutorials on retro gaming, to speak of the topic here, uh, ETA Prime. He does fantastic, very clearly explained tutorials about how to get things to work on different platforms like the Dolphin emulator and uh, RetroPie on the Raspberry Pi. Lots of great stuff on the ETA Prime channel. Uh, we have some things in common. We're both dads who work hard, and we really love what we do on YouTube. And uh, you should definitely check him out if you haven't already to get your retro stuff working. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things beyond my trip to New York City. I told you I was done with the home theater thing, and then my wife and kids went away, and I started doing some research on Dolby Atmos, and I said, you know what, in the interest of uh, you know, really fully covering home theater, I need some Atmos speakers. So I went out and uh, paid a couple hundred bucks for these uh, Klipsch uh, Atmos speakers that don't require a ceiling mount. Um, so I hooked them up, and I'm going to tell you about them in an upcoming video this week and kind of show you where the home theater is at. Uh, my preview is that I am really impressed with Atmos. I didn't think I would be, but it is pretty darn good. And I'll talk about uh, some of the improvements that I perceived with it and some of the ways that I configured things. I'm also going to talk a little bit more about my home theater receiver that I bought. Because remember, I had to buy that receiver initially to get all the 4K stuff working. And uh, I bought a receiver with Atmos capability built in with the intent of someday upgrading to it, which I now have. So we'll talk a little bit about that Yamaha receiver in that video. We're going to have the review of that Chromebook I talked about from Walmart. Uh, they had three colors available when I got it. Now they're down to one color. I hope it's not going uh, out of stock for good here. So I'm going to get that video up uh, probably tomorrow, just so I don't miss any opportunities there to tell you about it. And I shot this video the other day because a viewer uh, last week filled me in about the Voodoo Disk to Digital system, and I'm going to talk about that and show you how it works with movies anywhere. I think this is a deal because you can take out a movie that you bought 20 years ago on DVD and convert it to 1080p on every streaming service for five bucks, or just take your Blu-ray discs that didn't have the HD streaming option in the in the box, in the little coupon. Uh, and for $2, you can get it in HD on all the streaming services, too, no matter when you bought it. Great deal. And I'm going to tell you more about it in a video that you'll see later this week. So we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up on the channel. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can by going to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to my efforts here. Anything is appreciated. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex. So if you've got a whole bunch of movies that you want to rip into files, you can put them in Plex and have a really nice cloud-style format to your personal media. And if you sign up, no credit card required, we get a small commission for you doing that. We have some other channels you can check me out on. My Extras channel uh, is where I unbox stuff and do supplementary content. The Podcast channel is where I do audio versions of this show and my monthly podcast interview series. And I will be splitting those up soon because I've been noticing that uh, the podcast episodes get buried with the frequency of the weekly wrap-up posts. So what I'm going to be doing is taking the existing podcast and making that just the podcast episodes and creating a second podcast called The Weekly Wrap-Up where you'll find this one. So I will let you know when that happens and I'll put something into the feed to let you know about that too. That way you can see you know, the, the two different types of content on two different uh, channels there. So that is going to be coming up soon. 
The snippets channel I have is something that I take uh, portions of this video, maybe my rant about the Atari box you might want to share with people. Well, you can get it on the snippets channel in one piece versus having to have people sift through 30 minutes of my uh, rambling diatribe to find it. So I do that for your convenience, and I post little snippets just about every day over there. And then my live stream archive is at lon.tv slash live streams, and I'm working on uh, getting a regular schedule to that. I've got a, a friend of mine who's in college who's going to try to do some producing of the live stream for me on Fridays, which is when I want to do it. It won't be this Friday, uh, but it will be on a Friday at some point. So I will keep you posted about the live streams. We're trying to do a live stream that has content uh, so that it's more than just me looking at the screen uh, and typing to you all. I want to really do something and then have that interaction as well. Now, if you like what I do, I suggest you click on the bell to get notified whenever I upload anything to this channel. And when we start the live streams, it'll tell you when I'm doing that, too. So we've got uh, that as an option, which I hope you will pursue, because being subscribed is no longer enough. We have some other engagement options for you, too. I got the email list at lon.tv slash email. The Facebook page is at lon.tv slash Facebook. The Facebook group, which has well over 300 people now, can be found at lon.tv slash Facebook group. This has been a great way to interact with all of you, so check it out. And my store is at lon.tv slash store, where I sell things that I've reviewed here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of, and they are pretty much brand new. Uh, just tested here for review and they're ready to find a new home and if you want to know whenever i add anything or lower a price you can sign up for my store email alert at lon.tv store alert so that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up i'd love to keep hearing from all of you about what you like and don't like and some suggestions of things that i should be covering and reviewing so keep those comments coming down below or on the facebook group and until next time this is lon Seidman. thanks for watching this channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including gold-level supporters of the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.